part two and we're back and better than ever i am sam i'm birdie this is what the life religious trauma part two we're just diving right in Mm. so i want to like go ahead and, and start this off with um something i learned from one of my college professors so this professor was like super duper harsh and i promise this that this story has a point Um, He was super harsh. The first day of class, the first semester I ever had him, he came in like guns blazing. He was super hardcore. Like he, he said some things that were not necessarily, I don't mean like offensive as in that they were inappropriate. I mean, they were offensive in that he didn't have a filter. Um, And I wanted to drop his class real bad. And I like talked to my mom afterward. I'm like, I need to drop this class. Like he's so scary. And she was like, no, just, just, you know, give it a little bit of time, go to a couple more classes. If you still feel that way, you can drop him. Um, well, at the next class, I would say probably a quarter of the students had dropped from his class. And his response was, okay, now that all of the, pardon my French, but now that all of the pussies are out, we can learn history. Right. And he was like very thorough and he tried to give all different kinds of perspectives. Um, and I think the book is Lies My History Teacher Told Me or something like that. Um, it's a book, and he would uh, read from that. And it's correcting a lot of the history we've whitewashed. So anyway, I ended up falling in love with this professor. I thought he was fantastic. So every class of his I could take throughout community college, I would take it. Um, so my second semester with him, he walks in and he writes on the board, the capital letter U. He writes the greater than symbol. And then he writes the capital letter A. Hang on. Bless you. Thank you. So capital letter U, greater than symbol, capital letter letter A. And we spent the entire class, we didn't even talk about history the first class. We spent the entire class talking about what U is greater than A means. And we were, you know, we would get close to it, but, you know, we wouldn't really hit on what it was. And right towards the end of class, he said, U is greater than A means that understanding is greater than acceptance. Mm. So, and I've carried that with me for a long time that, and it's like you were saying last episode, you can understand somebody and understand their perspective and still not subscribe to their belief system. Right. And let me, let me throw this out there. I have given my dog a one of those Kong toys and I put some peanut butter in the middle to keep her satisfied for a little while so if you hear like licking noises I apologize but she is just going to town on that peanut butter and I'm just like you know what you live your life honey um she's having a good time but all that to say you know I I am very aware that there are going to be people in my family who are not going to accept the way that I inherently am but I would be more, I would be more encouraged if they would try to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to accept it as your own. And what a lot of people don't get is that understanding and acceptance are mutually exclusive things. They are mutually exclusive categories. And people, what I've found is that a lot of people don't want to hear my side because they don't care to understand. Right, right. They, and you know, they're, I'm a very opinionated person. I'm not one of those people that'll just come out with my opinion nine times out of ten. But I'll listen to other people's arguments, knowing good and darn well that my head is already, like, I've already accepted and 
I already subscribe to what it is that I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know other people are that way. So, but talking about, you know, religious trauma and deconstructing Christianity, um, going back to that, not living in a place of fear. Because I don't know about your experience. And I know that part of this will differ is when I was growing up, once the Pentecostal church believed that once you got saved, you had to constantly repent in order to sustain your salvation. Um, There was, you know, the whole, did you ever get the whole uh, talk about backsliding? Baptists, on the other hand, were a little different because... I think there was more of an understanding in the church that I grew up with, which I'm not, please, you know, don't misunderstand y'all. I'm not generalizing. Um, but there was a common understanding that you were going to falter and you were going to sin. And that's just the way that it was. Um, and, you you know, you prayed and, and you repented and you, you told God that you loved him and you had an open conversation with him that was purely human because we can't do it any other way. Um, but the fear was still there. The fear of wanting God to understand that you were trying. I think that's where the fear came from. But a lot of the fear that I sustained from my own personal perception experience was the honor thy father and mother quote um, in the Bible, the verse. Mm -hmm. Because that really put me in such a position. Because you can honor your parents but also disagree with them. Yes, I agree with that completely. Um, And I did not know the difference as a child. Well, you know, and I'm sure you were raised a very similar way of disagreeing was considered not honoring your parents. Oh, yeah, it was considered disrespect. Like you were supposed to be their little slave and their little underling. And then the whole idea that the church would give us of, like, you know, the dad is the head of the household and the mom and then the kids. and. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was definitely preached to us. But, you know, the Pentecostal church, that's one thing that always scared me was I was afraid of backsliding. Because what's the verse in the Bible where it's talking about not being lukewarm? Oh, yeah. That oh, God yeah. will spit you out of his mouth? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in that verse when, when I was growing up, what they meant by that was that if you're completely cold, that means that you don't believe in God at all and that you're just living a life of sin and you're just like, whatever, go to the club and mess around with anybody you want. Um, and then being hot for Jesus, being, you know, on fire for Jesus. Yeah, don't, don't. I don't like the way you put that. Being hot for Jesus. <laughs> oh my, um, my bad, y'all. Um, being on fire for Jesus was more like you're, you're keeping all of his commandments. You're disagreeing with the negativity of sin and you don't live in that lifestyle. And lukewarm is like, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Go to the club one day and then going to church the next. And being like, oh, I repent. And then doing it again next weekend. Right. But, you know, I always thought that if I, and this is a very more, this is more of a like Catholic way of viewing things because, you know, Catholics, you have confessional, right? Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to do your confession and then you're forgiven. And my dad had a friend of his who, um, who died in a car accident, mm-hmm. um, down living down here. Um, it was him, him and his two sons were in the car and only one of his sons survived. He died and, and his oldest son died. Um, and at the funeral, everybody was so excited that they had gone to confessional the week before. Wow. 
so that their souls were saved. Um, and likewise, I had a, it was very tragic. It was a little over a year ago. Um, but I have a friend of mine who was very close to this guy who, um, took his own life. Mm-hmm. And I know you remember that happening. Yeah, I do. Because <clears throat> it was very tragic and it was, uh, the impact was very widespread. Um, but her denomination, which I won't disclose what that is because I don't want to start a, a flame war. Um, she was afraid that he would not go to heaven because he's in essence in, they don't call it purgatory, they call it something else. But he was in essence, you know, waiting and they believe that after a person has passed, if they weren't right, that you can pray for salvation for their soul. Mm. And she was so distraught that... Oh, that is so pressuring. Isn't it, though? But, you know, you, you, you say somebody who's been battling with depression, which in no way, shape, or form am I glorifying taking your own life. But also understand that when I say, when you know, I do not guilt someone for who does... Right. Because of the struggle that they have, you cannot possibly know what is going on with them. It's not fair to judge someone because they took their own life and say that they're selfish. You can't imagine, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to struggle with that and then think that there is no other way to get relief. Right. Um but the pressure, the pressure of, oh, well, someone just took their life. They're not going to get to heaven unless I pray for them really, really hard every single day, every moment of the day. That is debilitating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it puts, you know, it puts that person directly responsible for that other person's salvation. Um, and she was even bartering that God take her salvation and give it to him. Okay. Which hurt me to hear. And I know that that's not how salvation works. Um, I mean, I don't know, actually. Like, I can't say that I do know because only God knows. And even then, we aren't 100% certain that there is a God. Yeah, yeah. Which is going to really trigger some people. I know. So, I, you know, again, the this is an open, like, discussion that we're having. Um, and this is in no way, shape, or form trying to impact someone not to believe what they're believing. Please right. believe what you're going to believe. But I'm also not going to take responsibility for you doubting your beliefs because of this podcast. Right. Um, you, are your, you are your own person. Uh, the listeners have their own free will. And, you know, regardless of the way that they react towards this, we will not take responsibility. But I also want to normalize to questioning what you've been taught. Oh, yes. Uh, because, you know... <sighs> The way I was raised was that questioning your belief in your faith in God is a sin. Mm-hmm. So I was very scared um, to not believe what I believed my whole life. Right. Um, and for a long time, I kind of rejected the idea of religion completely. Um, for a while in college, I went through a phase of saying I was agnostic mm-hmm. because I believe that there is something out there. I just don't believe that it is what we think it is. Um, and of course I don't believe that God can be put in a box. Um, but all of that to say, it's okay to question and it's okay to be raised a certain way, question it and find a completely different path in your life that is personally more fulfilling and aligns more with what you desire and what your values are. 
And, you know, I'm going to throw this out there, too, and this is not meant to be triggering, but it might trigger some of you. And, again, I don't take responsibility for that, um, as confrontational as direct as that sounds. Um, I don't mean that lightly. Um, but if, if someone asks you why you believe what you believe, and you answer it with, well, it's what my family believes, you need to take a hard, long look at what it is that you're believing Because if you are believing that because that's comfortable to you and it's normal to you, I inherently think that there is something flawed in that. Yeah, and I I agree with that. I believe that, you know, my relationship with God for a long time was what I was taught it should be. Oh, yeah, those expectations, definitely. And people would talk about praying to God and worshiping and they would, you know, get answers and they would get responses to their prayers And I felt different and I felt wrong because I didn't get that. I don't know about you, but when you were a kid, (laughs) and I look back on this as a counselor and someone in mental health, because I am just, I, when you go into mental health, you're going into psychology or you're learning these things, you pick apart everything that that is the human experience. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Where are you going with this? Did you ever sit in the pews of church and they're just sitting there and the preacher is like, you know, I'm really excited about that Alabama football game. We're on to the <laughs> conference, and, and I'm, just, I'm just hooting and hollering about it. And they're taking that ball, and they're, they're taking that ball home. They're taking that trophy home. But you know what we really need to do? We need to start thinking about taking our souls home to heaven. <laughs> and I'm like, how does that even connect, sir? How does that even work out? I, I wish I could give like re- like some sort of like written respect to the person that I saw on TikTok uh, who kind of coined that, even though we've all sort of experienced that possibly in the Baptist church. But it's always, it's always, you know, trying to reach to make this relatedness and this connection that there obviously is no connection <laughs> at all. Oh, we need to take our souls back. We need to grab that soul like a football. And we need to work our way down the field to heaven at the goalposts. And I'm like... We need to take our souls and we need to just go through the middle for that 50-yard touchdown. We just, we just that, need to... that field goal for salvation. Wear the devil down. <laughs> wear down that defense. That demonic defense. <laughs> So, are you talking about the Alabama-Auburn game and saying that Auburn is... No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just... Well, I'm not but, an Alabama fan, so. But there's there's this ideal, and that's another, another thing I need to touch on that I would love for us to just spin off on. Right. And that is, I have a very difficult time, and this is me being vulnerable, I have a very difficult time with people who get up behind a... Like, in front of a congregation... And they are so charismatic Mm -hmm. and they are so charming and putting themselves on this pedestal and saying, oh, yes, I am God inspired. Um, It's like, what, does God just wave a magic wand and poof and pick somebody? I don't. Yeah. What makes you more special than everybody else? What? And I think I was reading something um, that I'm trying to think of how to put it, but it was talking about. Um, the traditional Christian values and self-actualizing, like wherein, you know, a person does something, let's say a person does something that they're really, really proud of, 
mm-hmm. right? They graduate from college or they get married or whatever. Um, how many times do you say, oh, that, or do you hear people say, oh, that, that wasn't me, that was God? That was right, all God. Right, right. And I believe that God puts those things in our path 100%. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. faith, what's the verse? Faith without works is dead, right? Yes, yes. So why are we, if we are created in God's image and we are supposed to do our own works mm-hmm. and have faith, yes. why is it that we don't give credit to ourselves? That's a very good point. Because I'm sure that it was not by coincidence that I got into grad school after working so hard to get into it for over a year. Right. Not because I'm stupid, but because I took time off. Let me just clarify that. Also, stupidity is not defined in in uh, ACT scores or anything like that. But that's a, a session for another time. Yeah. Um, that That's a very interesting way to look at things. And I'm glad you went down that rabbit hole because I, you know, I, I kind of forgot about that aspect mm-hmm. of, you know, oh, well, thank God for this and thank God for that. Well, I mean, you know, if God is all-knowing and God is all-great, um, then why were all of these people in the Bible used to teach us these lessons? And And that's, you know... <laughs> It's it's such a, a difficult topic to even dive down and to understand um, because there's going to be so many parts of, like, misunderstanding. And there's going to be so many parts of, well, this is not going to make sense. Um, but But also, I see so many preachers getting up behind the pulpit and they're trying to make sense of things that they don't even know. And I have a problem with that because it's like, I respect someone more for telling me, hey, I don't know. I don't know about this. I'm going to try to research it. I'm trying to, I'm going to try to understand it. Instead of someone being like, oh, yes, I know. And then finding out that they were completely wrong. Well, um, it's like in, in the counseling profession. Like, people have their own specialties. Like, you, you and I know of a counselor um, that I work with that their specialty is in children with autism. Mm-hmm. Which is not to say that that counselor can't do things outside of working with children with autism. But if you're a counselor, um, if you're a counselor and you get a kid who, or you get a person who, for example, um, is struggling with addiction. Mm-hmm. If your background is not an addiction, you might be able to provide them with some support. But if you try to fabricate the stuff that you don't know and kind of make it up as you go along, you're going to do more harm than good. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, And that's where it's important to ask questions. I wish that in the congregation that I grew up in, I wish that the preacher asked the congregation questions. I wish that the, the congregation asked him questions. I wish that everybody had asked each other questions because questions are not bad. Mm-hmm. They're not bad. And that's that's where a lot of these deep-seated things are here in the Bible Belt in the South um, with a lot of churches, not all of them, is that we cannot question what is inherently true. Well, how do you know that is inherently true? You have no evidence to base that off of. And there's no such thing as a universal truth and a universal right and a universal wrong. Nobody wakes up one day and just decides, I'm going to be a shit person today. Mm-hmm. 
Everybody wakes up and operates within the scope of what they think is right. Exactly. They're just trying to do the right thing. And that's that's where the problems arise. I feel like, and, and again, you know, a lot of people disagree with this, but I feel like where the problems arise is with mindlessness. Yep. When you are not mindful of how you are affecting your environment and the world. You have to be mindful if you're going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that's where things get a little out of hand is when you're mindless. I had a coworker, um, he was actually my supervisor, look up to him even now, call him every, every so often. We're very good friends. He actually went to seminary and he is very biblical. He's, he's a very uh, devout Christian, but he's he super is, smart too. oh yeah, super intelligent guy. Love him. Um, he doesn't necessarily believe and accept the, um, you know, the homosexual experience of someone who is, who is gay. But you, but you know what? He hears you. He understands, tries to understand you, and he tries to be empathetic. Um, it probably helps that he is a family therapist. Yeah. But also, with all of that being said, he, he decides to attend the conversation. Mm-hmm. He decides to be present. Mm-hmm. to be willing to hear. He's not sitting there waiting to respond. He's sitting there waiting to understand. And that's where everything changes. Um, and I think that's the, the issue I kind of had with that other coworker um, was that, you know, I think she was having a problem with sitting there and attending and trying to understand. Because what's been taught to her is, you must save souls at any given opportunity because if you don't, they will go straight to hell. Mm-hmm. And that fear, that fear, I can't imagine what that fear must be like. But I also can imagine because I had a completely different view of it mm-hmm. as someone, as a homosexual child, as a gay child, is that I was like sitting there thinking, I've got to save everybody else's soul, but how do I save mine? Mm-hmm. How do I save my soul? when I know that I am living with this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you sit back and you understand that there is a problem with the, with the preaching. Not a problem with the teaching. It's a problem with the preaching. Because, you know, if you say things loud enough and you say them confident enough, if you actually, or maybe this is just my experience, but the first time I actually went to church and listened to what the preacher was saying rather than how they were saying it in their tone and their their conviction in their voice. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It it and maybe this was just my experience, but it sounded very what's the word I'm looking for? Manipulative. It sounded yeah, and it sounded manipulative, but it also sounded very flat. If you just took the words and printed them out on a piece of paper, it didn't carry so much meaning. But can we also point out that a lot of these preachers when they do um preach that they are literally, they have practiced this preaching. Mm-hmm. They've practiced this sermon, sermon over and over and over again throughout the week, Monday through Friday, to pop up on a Sunday and preach what they'd gone over, over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a speech. It's not like a, a discussion. It's not like a teaching. Right. You know, I, I don't know of any professors 
that would go over and over and over and over again certain teachings they they'll you know they'll open up for a discussion and they'll be like hey what do you think about this give me your view like i want your input because we're not going to learn unless everybody inputs something everybody knows that even in high school in high school and in college they're going to ask you for your input because they want you to teach them as well mm-hmm. um but it when the preacher gets up behind the pulpit nobody is teaching him right He is the only person talking. And I find such issue with that. Because, you know, if he's not being questioned and he's not learning, why would we not equate him to God? Right. So part of my issue, and this is true of of some churches and this is true and also have a problem with like uh what do they call them the televangelists oh my goodness (laughs) such a problem oh my goodness not calling anybody out we are because i'm I'm, just kidding we're not (laughs) because i'm afraid if i do i'm gonna get some kind of cease and desist letter (laughs) we're gonna get a letter in the mail we're not even gonna know how they found our address this is from Dr. Bleeda Blada Bleeda Blop because they'd be calling themselves doctor a lot i don't know about you but they'd they'd be calling themselves doctor and they'd be like, listen, you can no longer slander the name of this preacher. Please take your episode down. Ugh, negatory, sir. I mean, like, these episodes aren't even monetized right now, so, like, I'm not getting paid. We're not getting paid for this. Anyway, but there is a specific televangelist who owns a very large church, and I'm going to say owns because he owns it. Of course he does. He also has this, like, immaculate mansion of a home. And he's got, like, a movie theater and, like, four elevators. And it's, like, it's it's astounding, this home he owns. When Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma came through, that was my first year living down here close to the coast. And we weren't even in the direct path of the hurricane. And there was still so much destruction that we got, you know, three, four states away. Right, right. This pastor would not open the doors of his church to the people who had been displaced from the hurricane. And that bothered me. That hurt me so bad. And he got such backlash for it. But why in the world, if pastors are meant to be, and preachers are meant to be close to God, right? Mm -hmm. And they're meant to be servants first. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we're taught is supposed to be servants first. Have a servant's heart. Why do you have a $5 million mansion? Good question. When I tithe, part of the reason that I I hate the idea, because, you know, tithing is in the Bible and offerings and all that. Okay, can we talk about how dumb I was as a kid for a minute? I used to think when we would tithe, because the pastor would talk about it going to, to, to God and God's work. Tell me why I thought they just took the money and laid it out, like, in the open somewhere. And God just kind of came down and was like, yoink. <laughs> <laughs> I would have taken this, this Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> tell me why I thought that's how that worked. Oh, my gosh. Abe Lincoln coins? Oh, ungrateful congregation. <laughs> Two pence. Anyway. Um, Euro, this is America. (laughs) (laughs) But, okay, I was a child, so, like, don't judge me for that. I'm not that dumb anymore. Uh, Well, before you go on, as a child, I I was the second born, but I also was a girl, and it was very troubling to me that I was, because I thought I wasn't going to get the birthright. (laughs) And I asked my mom. I was like, I need the birthright, Mom. (laughs) Well, you got to give your brother some really good soup. Yeah, you gotta get him some really good soup. We really went there. We really did. But anyway, going back to tithing and offering. I need the birthright, Mom. 
I don't want that when I got old enough to realize where that money was going. I understand, you know, that people that work in the church, they have to get paid mm-hmm. to live. Yes. However, I don't want, I want my tithes and my offerings to go to serving those who need it. You know what I would really like my tithes and offerings to go to? What? I would like for someone to do a homelessness initiative mm-hmm. and create small homes for these homeless people and help them get on their feet. Yeah. That's what I would give my money to. But I I get very and and maybe I am not educated on this and I need to do more research. I am willing to do so. But I find a problem also with the fact that preachers most of the time don't get taxed on anything. Yeah. They get to pocket churches are taxed everything. And that really bothers me because, yeah, churches are tax exempt. Mm-hmm. They don't have to pay for their own house. They get that through the church. Mm-hmm. And so when they're saying tithe, 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 make sure you tithe. Why are we not tithing? Are you saying that because you want to give it to the Lord and try to create these initiatives to give back to the community? Are you saying it because you want it in your back pocket? And I have a problem with that. Where are your intentions? What, where is that, you know, where is that coming from? And, you know, the church that I left most recently, um, and you've been inside that church. Mm-hmm. I don't want my tithes and offerings to go to these big flat screen TVs and these state-of-the-art projection screens and these, you know, fancy-ass keyboards and, you know, like, I don't want my money to go to that. That's not necessary. Money. What about, you know, and I recently um, had a... Uh, I have some people that I know um, who suffered a loss. Mm-hmm. And that family could not afford a funeral. Right. Um, so why would we not use money for things like that? Like a family member passes away because funerals are expensive. They are extremely expensive. But well, also, Why can't we offset the cost there? Why can't we go out and help people in the community? Why can't we do more outreach for, for good? And not even... Because, you know, I went to a Pride event... I think it was maybe my first or second Pride event after I came out. Dog! Hey! Dog! Cut it out. Go lay down. What's under there? What is she... Oh. Sorry, dog. Um, But, you know, my first Pride event I ever went to, or second, there was a church set up there. And I was like, oh, God, there's a church at a Pride event. What are they gonna... How are they gonna preach at me? Yeah, yeah. But they weren't. It was hot. They were handing out you know water bottles and Gatorade for free and they you know I asked for some water and they were like I'm so like we're so happy to be here right and they thanked us for allowing them to come to something that was a part of our community and yeah their church their labels had uh, the church uh, water bottles had labels on them with their church on it but after doing more research that congregation is open and accepting to gay people but they yeah. just wanted to be there to, just to be there. Yeah, just to be a part of things. And that, you know, and, and going back on what you were saying about that church, when I walked into that church, immediately I was upset. And the reason why I was upset was because they were so incredibly pressuring. Yeah. Immediately. And I did not like that. But also I realized, too, that because I saw through what was going on, they had nothing to do with me. Wow. Very, very, very quickly. 
and I was kind and, you know, I was very nice and we had, we had eaten with them, uh, for, for reasons we're not going to expand on. Um, and I was taking my plate to throw it away. I'm a very independent person. Um, and I'm sure all of you can hear that, you know, listening to our podcast. I'm very independent. I'm very, um, opinionated myself. I'm very well grounded. I like to think I'm realistic. Um, and if I say, Hey, I'm going to put my plate away. I'm fine with that. Don't, you know, with the circumstances that we were going through and the hurting that we were having at that moment in time, don't have an attitude because I need to be independent to make myself feel safe. Yeah. Um, and I, I took offense to that. Um, later on I, I calmed down about it and I was like, you know, I can't be responsible for someone else's reactions and their behavior, but there, this is where, you know, I have to touch back on mindlessness. You must be mindful. Mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, in the Bible, if you read, was very, very mindful. Mm-hmm. He uh, went into the tabernacle, tossed tables. Yeah. Because people were selling animals and making money off the church. And I think a lot of people forget that your church is doing that, too. Why are you not tossing metaphorical tables? Like, get in there and toss that shit. Like Toss it and, and bring attention to the despicable money laundering. And I think that you have to take into context, because the Bible was written by humans. Mm-hmm. And yes, humans that were close to God. Yes. But there are also parts of the Bible that have been changed or omitted or within cultural context means 100. For very poor intentions. Right. And there are things, you know, you you look back at paganism, which mm-hmm. is older than most religions. And many religions get a lot of their practices and their rituals from paganism. They do. Like the Christmas tree. That's pagan. Yeah. I mean, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, baba da da baba. Yeah. I'm coming out with a new album. It's beautiful. I'll buy it. It's called Christmas for You and Me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is the third album. The other two did not do very well. She just re-records the same album every single time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this time they'll like my music. It's just got one note change. (laughs) Boo-boo, do you know what the definition of insanity is? Buying mozzarella sticks every day and expecting to lose weight. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, But, no, like... Considering the cultural context and considering how the Bible can and has been changed and things have been omitted and people... It's I'm looking so at you, King James. I'm looking straight at you, brother. For real, though. Like, think about it. In the South, we're so divided by, like, SEC football teams. But have you seen how Christians, how defensive they get when you attack their preferred translation of the Bible? But you're not even attacking. Like, it's just a question. Like, oh, well, you know, King James don't really like that he wasn't the best guy but it's the best bible okay it's like i i personally hands are up brother i like the new living translation myself because i can understand it better but then they're like oh that's not how it's supposed to be can we also go on a tangent and discuss that you know when it comes to men in the church you'll say brother james or brother brother or brother billy hey continue what you were saying i have to go pee again oh my (laughs) lord Uh, i'm sorry uh, but we, we never say, hey, Sister Hannah. I have never had anybody call me Sister Hannah or called another woman Sister Pam or something like that. Where is, where's the recognition? Um, 
but but getting back in line while uh, Birdie goes to the bathroom, um, it's it's just it's a very difficult topic to 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 touch on and to even discuss because I I feel like in this situation the backlash is just so incredibly negative uh, because people you know, they take their beliefs very seriously, and you should, you should take your beliefs very seriously, but they, they almost respond in a way that it's, oh my goodness, you're attacking me personally, and, and that's just not the case, it's more of an observation, it's more of a questioning, it's more of, okay, um, I just don't understand why this is happening the way that it is, when it could happen a completely different way, um, but I noticed that we would do, you know, a offering for, for missionaries. And we, we really need to talk on the topic of missionaries. Welcome back, Birdie. That was a very quick pee-pee. Um, and that being said, I have no, in, no problem with missionaries. Mm-hmm. What I do have a problem with is gaslighting and manipulation. And I'm going to let you piggyback off on that, Birdie, right quick. So... I don't know if I ever told you this. Uh, oh, there was an old program back in the like early two thousands where you could dog. Hey, get back in here. Thank you. Um, but where thank you, y'all. Thank y'all. But where you could, in essence, write letters to a family in another country. Oh it yeah. Was, what was that called? Do you remember? I can't remember, but I remember during youth group, we would do that, and everybody was really bored doing it. <laughs> and we were all like, we wish we could just play dodgeball. <laughs> but I had... Why is it not Christianly to be fit? <laughs> but I had one of those families I would write to, um, and I won't disclose the girl's name. I, I remember it, though. But uh, she and her family were from the Philippines. Okay. And I, we would write back and forth. Um, and my family would send her family money. Um, and, of course, our letters had to go through a translator um, back and forth. Um, but that was, you know, that was really awesome for me growing up because our, nine times out of ten, our letters didn't have a single thing to do with church. Right. Nothing. It had to do with, oh, well, I'm, I'm in second grade and this is what we learned today. And this is like this person's my best friend and my favorite color is blue. Like, you know, like it was a genuine conversation with her. And I hope that she's doing well. I wonder, you know, if she's out there still, like, where she's at in life. Um, But I used to, when I was growing up, dog, stop. When I was growing up, I used to think that I wanted to be a missionary. Did I ever tell you that? Yeah, you told me that. I thought I wanted to be a missionary. And I wanted to go out. This is also the time when I thought I wanted to be a dentist. I wanted to go out. I remember in past episodes, you were like, oh, no, not dentistry. <laughs> right. But I wanted to go, and tell me tell me how cute this is, though. I wanted to go to other countries and fix people's teeth. Isn't that cute? I tell you what, though. That's creative. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful, Katie. That's wonderful, Katie. <sighs> <laughs> but... You know, I never got an opportunity to go on any kind of missions trip, even though I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. Um, and I got praised so strongly in my church for wanting to do missions. And when I decided that wasn't what I wanted to do, it felt like 
it felt like a betrayal almost because that I got praised so heavily for wanting to do that. And then I figured out this isn't what I want to do. I was watching a documentary on um, gay um, individuals and, you know, them growing up in the church. And there, it was a time where being gay was was at the forefront of the media and the churches kind of took it on and, and were like, hey, we can save you because we know you're struggling. When really, they, it was not really the struggle of being gay that was the problem. It was the struggle of being attacked in the community. Yeah. Um, and I remember there was this woman who got up and was talking about how she had actually, and this is a trigger warning, it's, you know, sexual assault, um, where she had been sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And the she did not want to share that with the church. And the people who were in charge of that particular sermon told her that it was important for her to share that in her testimony and that she needed to do it so that other people could follow and that it could, they could be saved from hell. Um, and that was very detrimental to her because it re-traumatized her and caused her to fall back into the hole. Again, trigger warning, this is self-harm. Um, of self-harming and this is where I draw the line with manipulation and those boundaries but also can we have a little comedic relief moment with saying I remember when I was young and I would be sitting like in the middle pews because I don't like being the forefront of the um of attention I just don't like if you're gonna praise me do it while I'm, when I'm by myself don't do it in front of people it makes me very embarrassed uh causes me I'm sorry causes me to be embarrassed but I remember I was sitting in the middle pews and this one preacher had gotten up there and I remember me and a couple of friends that went to church together we would always like bet on how long it would take for that one drop of sweat on his nose to fall <laughs> and we're like it's probably gonna be an hour and 30 minutes and my other friend was like, oh, totally 45 minutes. He's running back and forth. Um, and oh, it's crazy. Uh, either way, it, it, that doesn't, that's not important, even though that's hilarious. Um, I remember he would just talk such crap about homosexual people and how they were going to hell. And they have an agenda and they're doing all this stuff. And, and how dare the media do this and do that and do this and do that. But it was very clear to me seeing him up there behind the pulpit, that he was very acquainted with the sin of gluttony. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I thought, you're going to tell me that, you know, first of all, I'm not safe coming out. Second of all, you're going to tell me that with me being the way that I am and something that I cannot help is wrong. When you literally go to the Chinese buffet and have six plates of crab rangoons <laughs> and that's okay on a sunday <laughs> well to circle back around but know. also don't work on sunday but totally go to the buffet to eat totally because those people at the buffet they're exempt <laughs> right but you know circling back around it's no none of us is without sin right and you know let him who's without sin cast the first stone there is no one without sin. Mm-hmm. And my kind of my biggest point in this is that you shouldn't be a Christian because you're afraid of eternal damnation. You should be a Christian because you love God. Right. And 
you know, growing up, I would get so mad because I would feel like I would try to give all my love to God and I would try to be the best little Christian that I could, but nothing changed. I felt like I wasn't being heard. I felt like I wasn't being answered. And maybe I was just not in the way I was looking for. But, you know, talking about missions and talking about manipulation and gaslighting, you see all these churchgoers that go to these, what they believe are underdeveloped countries. And they get on their Instagram and their Snapchat and they post pictures of holding the little babies. And they're talking about all the good work that they do for God. And And please give us money because we got to go back to another country and do this again. But that's the thing. We don't get to decide what is fulfilling for someone else. A person can be completely fulfilled without religion. And that's if that is what they choose. That is so incredibly profound. Not the blah, blah, blah. That part was not profound. But what you said was incredibly, incredibly profound. Because who are we to say that we, that we know? Who right. are we to say? I remember someone came up to me and they, they told me that me being gay was not something God wanted. And my response to them was, how do you know you're not a God? Yeah, you're not God. You're not God. How would you know? And, the, well, the Bible said so. Well, but you're not God. Right. And, you know, judge not lest you be judged, right? But that's the thing is... In all of these arguments, in all these human rights arguments, if you take the Bible and if you take religion out of it, and that's what I try to challenge people to do, is take God, take religion out of it, and find your own opinion aside from that. Because if you get in a discussion with somebody who is not particularly religious, and you say, well, the Bible, that holds no water to them. And But no, like, for me, it's more important to know what your values are and to do your own research and figure out what God means to you. Because, like, my preacher would stand up in the pulpit and he would scream, you know, hellfire and brimstone at us. And you better get saved today because you're not promised tomorrow and you could get in a car wreck on the way home and die. And this was your only opportunity. Like, that's fear. That's fear mongering. And talking about, you know, manipulation, you, and it's not so much that, if somebody's struggling with anything or drugs or addiction yeah people are scared of what they don't know and it's not that they try to love them through it what i've found in my experience it's less of them loving them through it and more of them pulling back and withholding love and withholding community from them because they're afraid and you know what's what's interesting because this definitely connects i mean there was a time when I was growing up, I was in high school, and people who had drug addictions and, you know, alcohol addictions and, and things of that sort that lived in active addiction, they were ostracized. They were shunned, and it was, you know, there was no understanding. There was only, we'll just stop taking the drugs. Mm-hmm. It wasn't looked at as a disease like it is now, a disease on the mind. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, I had made a comment towards someone, which, again, this was one of those conversations I was very, very grateful for. Um, someone was talking to me about uh, their child uh, being potentially transgender. And there was a lot of open understanding, even though they were completely against the idea, which I am no expert on anyone uh, living the transgender lifestyle. 
or anyone that has that struggle or, or has that, um, has that label. And I'm, you know, I want to be as respectful as, as possible because I can't possibly imagine what that would be like. Um, mostly because I, I am not that. Um, but I, I will say that open conversation, the, the understanding, you know, was not there with that person because they were not living that truth. And, you know, my, my response to that person was, I just can't imagine what that would be like because it's not my experience and I can't say that I know the answers to this because I don't know them. And that goes back to understanding is greater than acceptance. Understand for me, when I, my last, you know, couple years, maybe even year that I was in church regularly and I started learning more about the human condition, it challenged me to see people not as extensions of the church but as their own people who come into the church Mm -hmm. it's not you know brother so-and-so who's the worship leader who has these kids that are in youth group it's brother so-and-so who's a banker who is a runner who is all these other things because people can have an identity outside of church and my biggest takeaway in all of this is whether you follow organized religion or not, whether you are agnostic or atheist or pagan or Buddhist or Hindu, it's to do enough research to be able to make an educated and conscious decision to do what honors your values but also not hurt other people. Right. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I got something and then I'll let you go. No, go ahead. Um, But, you know... Growing up, I was always told that we need to be kind to others because the logic was, quote, you are the only Bible that some people will ever get to read. That was it. Um, and so when people have these bad experiences with church, this is highly manipulative when people say, oh, well, the people in the church hurt you, not the church itself. Mm. And people are human. Mm. If we're the only Bible that some people ever get to read, kindness should be at the forefront. Understanding should be at the forefront. Because you get these people that have been traumatized by church that love God, mm-hmm. that love the teachings, but are so hurt that they're scared to go back to the same environment that hurt them. Exactly. I had a childhood friend who said that that was one of the reasons why their parents never took them back to church. Because of how hurtful they were to them in the church. Yeah. Um, and that is, that is a sad thing. And, you know, I, I read something the other day, somebody had posted something on Facebook because of course it's Facebook, um, that the younger people are leaving the church because we're losing souls and, you know, it's a war on Satan and all these other, no, it's, it's not, that's not the reason why they're not going It's because they see inconsistencies and they see lies. Mm -hmm. They're reading through it because they are challenging the family cyclic trauma. They're not just stomaching what you are giving them. They're asking questions and they get upset when you don't answer them. Yeah. And I I feel that because as I was growing up, that was my life was to ask questions. I was called a strong-willed, stubborn child because I asked questions. That is if you look at that from a point of view of, "Whoa, that doesn't seem right." Because it wasn't right. 
It wasn't right. I was a child. I wanted to know why things were happening the way they did. It wasn't because I was strong-willed. It was because I wanted to understand. I wanted to learn. I wanted to be educated. Well, I always got the reputation in the church of being the person that everyone could talk to, of being understanding and kind. A counselor before you knew it. And if that's God's plan for me, great. But that experience came from the trauma I went through. Mm -hmm. That wasn't taught in church to me. That was my life experience. And I had no support in that situation because everybody was more concerned about what my parents were doing than what was going on with me. Right. And that, that has got to be detrimental because you, you were such a young child going through the fact that you were half of this person and you were half the other person. Both those two people are conflicting, which in turn is making you and causing you to conflict within yourself. And then the support within the church walls was like, oh, you're not important right now. Yeah. This, this controversy this um, this battle and this confrontation happening between your parents is more important for me to know than what's going on with your experience. I mean, and there's a song that I like, and one of the lines in it is, where was the grace when I was asking for it? Mm-hmm. When I was going through what I was going through, I wanted help, I wanted support, I wanted grace, I wanted somebody to just tell me it was going to be okay. But when I came out on the other side, and I'm still working through that trauma, even now as a grown-up, people people in the church would come to me and they would be they would talk about how kind I was and how gentle and how soft-hearted and how soft-spoken I was where is the grace when I was asking for you you don't get to come to me now that I'm stable and I've learned through my trauma and try to benefit from it that is not how that works but also what where is this this understanding and this is going to be a podcast episode for another time that anger and showing that anger and portraying that anger and that upsetness because anger is a secondary emotion people it 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 covers and it protects you from the feelings of sadness and disappointment Mm -hmm. it's a secondary emotion it's not primary don't get that twisted um why is it that when i was growing up in the church showing that you were angry and showing that what you were upset was such a taboo Mm -hmm. it was like oh no how dare you get mad how dare you get upset how dare you tell your parents that you are upset with this Mm -hmm. the the thing is to be human you must you must say it because once you grow up and you don't experience these feelings and you don't share with people that hey this is hurting me then it's going to continue to hurt you because you think you're wrong and your feelings and emotions are not valid right So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up what I've got to say because that pretty much covers it for me. Okay. At this point in my religious experience, I still identify as a Christian. But that's only after I've done my own research and only after I've looked back at older translations of the Bible and looked at things that aren't necessarily included in the Bible, like the lost books. And I've looked at other, uh, you know, works of literature and I've talked to other people And I'm comfortable as a gay person still loving God because you can do both. Right. But I've also found my own walk and my own understanding, and I had to find that for myself. And anybody that's listening, that's what I encourage. Like, I understand that some people may have been hurt by the church. Some people may have not been. But regardless, finding what it means for you 
being a decent human being and discovering what your walk with religion, if there is one, what is going to fulfill you? And that's, that's what that is to me. And that's, that's, that's kind of to sum everything up. I'm going to wrap up my point with please be patient with others. Please be patient with people who don't understand. I know it's difficult, and sometimes when you're in toxic situations, it's hard to do so, and no one would blame you if you weren't. Although, it is important for you to be patient, please. Um, People have to question their own beliefs and, and the things that they were taught in their own time. It takes, you know, some people do it in high school and they figure out who they are, and some people do it when they're adults and they figure out who they are everybody's truth is going to be different and as much as you know a lot of people um that i know hate the idea of coexisting because they think that's like a liberal thing that people came up with but it it is important to coexist with mutually exclusive categories you must coexist because there is no other choice you will not be the same as everybody else you're not meant to be cookie quarter cutter we're supposed to be different we're supposed to challenge each other that's how we learn that's how we get better mm-hmm. that's how we innovate that's how we adapt to become resilient mm-hmm. there are other people around you that can teach you things that you don't know and it's okay to be humble in that respect it's okay to do those things definitely um but I think this was a beautiful, beautiful episode. And if any of you uh, felt triggered or disrespected, uh, neither of us intended that no. to happen, uh, please understand we are trying our best to be very gentle and very kind with what we say. Um, so I want to thank you for listening to us. Um, this was a very difficult topic to even wrap our minds around. Yeah, this was quite a jump from our very peppy, upbeat first introductory episode. Um, but... Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. What topics are we going to bring up next time, whenever we get around to that? I think the topics we need to bring up is the community mental health-based mm-hmm. approaches yeah. to our children in our community who are really reaching out and asking for help. Okay. And I would love to talk about, like we were talking about family trauma, I would like to talk about uh primary versus secondary emotions and I think at some point we need to have like a like a self-care cast where we just kind of do fun stuff oh yeah definitely I think that'd be fun I think that'd be a lot of fun (laughs) but alrighty well thank y'all for listening and we will catch y'all whenever we decide to record again (laughs) much love y'all much love bye